Okay, welcome to Phenomenosophy, episode 11, The Dark Night of the Soul. So, um, this episode, The Dark Night of the Soul, I wanted to do as kind of like a, a preface of what is coming as a society. And so first let me explain what the dark night of the soul is. It's an archetype. And you find this archetype um, in history. Um, and it's been uh, cataloged by, uh, uh, what's his name, Joseph Campbell in the form of the hero's journey. And these archetypes are set forth as these are, it's a process that appears in all of our mythology. It appears in all of our religious stories and everything else. And it's a blueprint, so to speak, of our spiritual evolution, or I should say for our spiritual evolution. So we, we go through, we experience these archetypes throughout our life and we evolve uh, uh, spiritually through these archetypes. And this is not only um, did I feel it was relevant for this particular moment in time when we look at our society, and I mean society in a much broader sense than our nation, because right now there are people all over the world looking at us, looking at our nation and what we are doing, we've kind of become the standard bearers for preserving and maintaining freedom and for reestablishing our own republic here. Um, but this is also, you, you've definitely at some point in your life experienced this on an individual level. You may be experiencing it now, or you may be on the precipice of experiencing this, this dark night of the soul. Um, and I, so I want to, I want to address it in both senses as, as an individual, um, what, why we come up against this dark night of the soul, uh, what the experience within the darkness is like and the benefit, the opportunity that is there when we emerge and not only as individuals, but as a, as a nation or as a society, we will be, you know, going into this dark night of the soul um, and you can see it with, if you just look back, I mean, if you just look back at the last 10 days, I mean, we could look back at the last year and you can definitely see this slide into the abyss, so to speak. However, you can see that there's been some kind of a, uh, a quickening, so to speak, that has been occurring in that things are unfolding at an unprecedented rate. And, and this may be also, you may be also experiencing this on an individual level. And typically dark night of the soul for the individual, not always, but often is in a personal relationship. And it could be with the end of a, of a significant other type relationship. It could be related to family, your relationship with parents, siblings, uh, children, things like that. So, but, but it's not exclusive to that. Some people experience it in their social lives. Some people experience it in their professional lives. So there, it, it occurs in many different ways. And as a nation, it's, it, it appears to be just beginning to unfold. So in the dark night of the soul, 
in, in this particular archetype, what occurs is the hero, <laughs> whether it be the individual or our society, is faced with a darkness and a, a, a time of uh, distress, a time of depression. It is uh, a, a moment where we start to lose meaning. We, we seem to sink into a space of meaninglessness. And that meaning, in order to swim in the abyss, in order to, to, to regain ourselves, we need to let go of that subjective identity, okay? And that's the image or the mythology we have of ourselves. And this is something that we have as a nation as well. So there is an image, a mythology of what America is that must be let go of. We must let go of this subjective identity so that within the abyss, within the darkness, we can reevaluate, we can, we can come to terms with this darkness that we're facing. Um, the darkness, the shadow, and the nemesis are typically, it's a reflection of something we hold within us. So whether we're talking on the individual level or whether we're talking on the, uh, uh, on the level of our society, there is a darkness within America that is being projected at this, at the cause of the darkness, right? The nemesis, the shadow. And in this meaninglessness, when we're able to let go of the subjective identity, that, that ideal we had of what we are as an individual or what our society is, we can then re-ground ourselves in our values. The values that make you who you are as an individual or the values that make us who we are as a society. And in this reclaiming and, and, and integration with these values, and by facing this darkness, we have the opportunity to emerge with a, a much clearer, stronger purpose and meaning as an individual and as a society. So this is the opportunity that, that is unfolding in front of us. And it is a necessary step in order to restore the Republic and restore America to its original ideals. We must face as a society, this dark night of the soul. And so, you know, many of you see it unfolding. You can see the writing on the wall with, uh, what is clearly becoming the impending doom of our financial system, uh, as well as a clear tyrannical faction attempting to control the nation itself through various ideologies and policies. And, you know, just look at, again, just the last 10 days, what has been brought forth in order to enslave us, um, and so this is part of that dark night is facing these things because that those policies, those elements that are coming in the form of the shadow, in the form of the nemesis, we are responsible for that. That is the dark side of our society being reflected back at us. So that's why as a society and as individuals, this dark night is so essential to our spiritual evolution as individuals 
and as a society. So with that, um, I'd like to open up the conversation in, from a standpoint of your own experiences with you know, just any questions you have about what's happening in the world, any experiences you're having within the world with regards to this, whether on the individual level, the dark night of the soul, or whether the experience you're having of our society or your local community facing this dark night of the soul. Gingy, you want to start us off? I'd love to. Um, first off, what has happened in the last 10 days? You've mentioned that twice, and I'm curious to what you're referring to. <laughs> uh, the, I don't know, 40-something executive orders that have come out of the White House and the financial uh, attacks of the people upon the banking system, which I do find quite amusing. And again, for those of you who've been around for many years, isn't it interesting where all this stress is falling? Y'all remember the DTC? Y'all remember the DTCC? Y'all remember Seed Company, C-E-D-E? -E? Well, guess what? They're all being thrust into the foreground now because as these financial shenanigans are unfolding, these companies, which, you know, the DTCC, the Depository Trust Clearing Company, is being faced with having to cover something that none of these hedge funds will be able to cover. And if the attacks go forward on silver, like they're, like they're uh, suggesting, well, then you will see a complete collapse. Now, Again, those of you who've been with me for many years know that the DTCC, the DTC and Seed Company, uh, which the Seed Company and DTCC are subsidiaries of DTC, and the DTC is a subsidiary of the Federal Reserve. So you can see this is really a direct attack on the central banking system, which, again, we know is the primary motivator behind the machine world, right? It's what's driving the tyrannical forces in this world. It's what's driving the corruption. So these are un unfolding at such a rapid rate. I can see, Gingy, why I know because you kind of live in a bubble, why you haven't necessarily noticed any of these things or seen any of these things. However, they are unfolding at a rapid rate. Like we might see the end of the banking system next week. You know, <laughs> like, like, like that's how fast yeah. things are unfolding. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen quite a bit of that. Um, it's, it just seems like if if I turn my phone off for a day, I come back to so much that has happened. Like you said, things are moving at an extraordinary rate right now. Um, like it took me three days to get through the iconic podcast that you sent out, which was fascinating and connected so many dots for me in the sense that it it wasn't just focused on today or you know, the last month or even the last year, it was looking at the last 20 plus years and showing this slow evolution of, of tying together major events that we've seen. And I had been feeling like all of these were connected. And I remembered some type of archetypal pattern that all of this was playing out. That's totally cyclical. And I could feel that happening. I just didn't have the terminology or the reference points that he laid out in there. And not only did that clear up a lot of things for me, but it made sense of a lot of the things that you talk about too. 
Um, I know it's it's you know, he's not speaking for you. Do you want to talk into what you liked about that podcast a little bit? That episode well, specifically. That that is exactly why I sent it out to all of you and why I posted it several times was because it was such a great kind of like tied up with a bow kind of package of things we've been talking about for years, right? I was like, wow, perfect. Because I, I mean, I, you, you've experienced, Jinji, because I probably talk with you more than anyone, but you've experienced my frustration when you don't get what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> like <laughs> I see the dots connected and you don't see them. And I get frustrated because I'm like, how can you not see this? Um, and then that was such a, I mean, what was it? An hour, maybe an hour and a half. And it was just such a perfect little package of kind of tying everything together that I'm like, perfect. I can send this out and people won't think I'm crazy. They'll actually be able to tie the things together that I've been talking about and see why it's all relevant. So yeah, to me, it was just a, it was a nice, sweet little package. I can be long-winded. <laughs> so, so I couldn't do what he did in an hour and a half. It would take me, you know, six hours to do what he did in an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the biggest value I got out of that was the, the blowing it out to have the big picture view because the, the ideologies that we talk about, the transitions of power, the, you know, how these are tying in with the, the monetary system and, and politics, all of that stuff for me feels so hyper-localized. I'm like, what's really at play on the, on the grander scale? If we look back over decades or if we blow out and look globally, what does it look like in that bigger perspective? And and that's exactly what this dude did. It it was it was awesome. So Okay. Uh, anyone else? Dark Night of the Soul, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, um, questions, topic points you'd like to bring up. This is Ginger. Sorry, I lost you. My my thing uh, died. My oh, forget it. Anyway, <laughs> um, um, <clears throat> for me, it's right now. I'm living off of uh, what we've spent our life saving for, <laughs> and that's what kind of scares the crap out of me. Is what what is going to happen with you know, the monetary system and what do I do? <laughs> what, what would I need to do to prepare myself for something yeah, like this? Yeah. I don't know if you can, you know, in, in reality, what I would say is that I think this comes into a conversation of faith. Okay. And, and I don't mean faith, like it's typically defined as like a belief, you know, typically people, uh, label faith as belief without evidence. And I believe that's a tautology. You're, I mean, it's a belief. With or without evidence, it's just a belief. Um, faith is that, whether if you're a Christian, it would be that, that inspiration you know, from the Holy Ghost that just fills you up and moves you. Um, if you have some other spiritual belief system, it is that higher power, that, gr that greater existence that inspires you it comes into you and moves you human beings are amazing we are adaptable we are have an incredible ingenuity and 
I don't know at this point you know, <laughs> that there's any real preparation you can do, um, you know, other than maybe, you know, having a couple of weeks worth of food or something might be a good idea. Um, but it's, I don't, I don't see it as that as being necessary at, at what we're facing here because the collapse of this, let's say the collapse of this monetary system, we know for years that there are other monetary systems ready to emerge, right? Asset-backed monetary systems. There's the digital currency systems that exist in the world. So there is already something out there that can quickly emerge and take its place. So I don't, if you're coming from a place of fear, I'd say get in touch with that higher sense of spirituality where you have that faith that will move you without knowing what's coming, right? See, because a belief is you have a belief of what the outcome will be. So that's, a, in, in my opinion, my assessment of faith, that's a lack of faith. Faith that, oh, well, God's going to make this, that, and the other thing happen. That's a lack of faith because you're, 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 it's a belief of an outcome as opposed to allowing that to move in you and to keep you going, move you forward, knowing that you can overcome any obstacle. You know, faith has no predetermined outcome and needs no predetermined outcome to be believed, so to speak. So I would say that in, the, in that uncertainty, fill yourself up with your spiritual beliefs and your spiritual system so that you open yourself up to that inspiration, which would involve letting go right? This is that you're entering that dark night of the soul. That's what you're experiencing. That's where the fear comes from. Face the fear. What beliefs about yourself that you're holding on to are causing that fear? Because it's in the, in the dark night of the soul where we can let these beliefs go, where we can let our image of ourselves or our image and expectations of our society, we can just completely let them go be free of them and emerge with a clear meaning and purpose. So don't try to avoid it because in our society, we have these tendencies and even programming on how to avoid this process. And I believe at some level, this is intentional to keep you from evolving spiritually. So for instance, we have alcohol, right? We have escape mechanisms, Right? We have prescription drugs, which actually prevent people from going into the dark night of the soul. It, it's a way of escaping it and keeping you from evolving, from growing, from facing that darkness, from facing that shadow, from facing the nemesis. It prevents you from actually growing and evolving. So... I, again, I don't know if there's anything you can do to prepare, but there may be something you could do on a spiritual level where you face that fear, come to terms with it and rediscover yourself, rediscover you, you know, without the limited beliefs you have about yourself that are having you experience fear at this moment. Can I add on to that, Branson? Absolutely. 
so without giving my life story um, here for this discussion, um, just a couple key points here. I was 18 years old the first time I moved overseas. And um, I think I've gone through many transition points in my life. And the kids that I grew up with that I left back at home went through less transitional points in their lives. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, living in the same home for so many years in the same town and the same job or career and the same family and relationship. And I think that through my personal testimony of transitions, um, I learned how to find security and uncertainty. A good saying that I like is the best way to live a stress-free life is to learn how to swim in the ocean of uncertainty. It's basic human nature to be in a place of safety, comfort, certainty, and a constance. Um, to most humans, this is where uh, there is a sense of security. Um, I honestly think that one of the largest things that provoke fear is uncertainty. Uncertainty is quite a devil. There's a lot of ripple effects that come with her presence. Uh, fear, stress, worry, sleeplessness, even excitement, hope, prayer, um, and the what if factor. I think a lot of people right now are living in the what if. And what if is actually also a key player in um, phobias, um, which I can touch on that as well if, if, if need to, but phobias. Um, a lot of people, depending on their belief systems, will go heavily into prayer or into meditation. Um, but it, it, and the reason why they do is because they're, they're looking for certain things, answers, certainty, um, stuff like that. Um, uncertainty can cause someone, you know what I mean, to, to play things safe, but it can just, it causes uh, fear and uh, doubt. I also spent 10 years in the Marines. And I guess some of the lessons that I got out of there, the first one being courage. As much as we talk about the spirituality of it, it's also the mental, the emotional. Um, and I think that finding certainty and uncertainty is a powerful thing. For every single time that I had an opportunity and I knew that I had to pack myself and my kid up, leave my current job in a place of comfort to travel and try something new, there's a lot of uncertainty involved. And I think in the, the big picture that we're dealing with in, in the United States right now and everything that's going on is where and how can we find certainty in this current uncertainty? Does that make sense? Finding certainty, finding comfort in uncertainty, um, finding peace and uncertainty, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough task to do, I, and I know it is, especially for those that have haven't had much much uh, transitions in their lives. But we are in a transition, and there's kind of a phenomenon with it. It's interesting that in order to grow, pain is involved. When kids physically grow, there's 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 uh, growth pains. Um, when we study for a math test, there's, you know, when the brain is developing, there's, there's just, there's, there's pain. When you go to the, the gym and work out, there's pain. And right now we're all feeling the same sort of uncertainty and, and pain. And I call it more of like a spiritual and, 
you know, fear is pain. Um, but understanding the depth of it, I know that where there is pain, growth is also occurring on the individual level. And I'll tack on to that and on the level of our society. So we're, we're as a society also going through a fear and a pain and this tension that we're experiencing in this darkness as a society will also have us emerge stronger and with clearer purpose, just like we do on the individual level. So Ginger, did any of that <laughs> have any impact at all? Do you feel like we've addressed your concern? Um, yeah, Lioness of God, boy, she hit the nail on the head there. Um, with the not having a whole lot of transition right. for myself. And I, I'm just finding my place, like she said, I, I'm finding my place in a place of uncertainty. And not knowing where that will lead. And I kind of, I don't know, how do I want to say? I'm in a comfortable place. <laughs> and that comfort is being challenged right now. Yeah, big time. And to where, yeah, plus... I don't know how to say this. Um, I'm married to somebody who's like watches a lot of TV. Thinks, you know, I think like most people that this is just going to be something that blows over. And that being prepared is uh, something that kind of doesn't sit real well with me. And I'm looking for things that I can do to at least make make the landing as soft as it can be for myself. <laughs> Which I don't know would be, to me is, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can diversify my assets, I guess, as far as monetary-wise goes. I have a lot of skills, but now I'm, you know, I'm at that place, you know, where it used to be, you could retire and do things you want to do. And, and that's a scary place for me right now. Cause it doesn't look like that. It could be that way. Although I, I think it's kind of what Brandon said you, that, uh, what do you want to say? Well, creating what, what you want to create. So I have to think a little more positively that way. Yeah. And, and I mean, as far as, uh, you know, on the financial side, you know, we've talked mm -hmm. about in the past, um, the always your best bet was heavy metals or not heavy metals, but precious metals. So, mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know how soon they're going to be attacking these, uh, uh, silver shorts, but gold and silver are so 
immensely undervalued right now. Like in reality, the market price of gold should probably be about thirty to forty thousand dollars an ounce, and the market value of silver should be probably around four or five thousand dollars an ounce. So, mm-hmm. you know, go down to the local <laughs> precious metals trader and buy some ingots of silver or gold or coins or whatever. Um, if and if that'll make you feel more secure, because it regardless of where fiat systems go or whether a a uh, asset-based system emerges, the precious metals will always hold value in those systems, mm-hmm. in all financial systems. So, um, if you you know if you want a sense of security and on the financial side of things, mm-hmm. get down there get down there on Monday morning before these guys start going after the silver shorts. Yeah, I kind of saw that, and I was like, oh darn, I'm I'm like I'm dragging my feet on it. I've got somebody else that's been you could say blowing in my ear about doing that. And I've just been dragging my feet. So it's, yeah, I, something I need to do. So thank you for um, that. Um, Cause I feel like, cause I also feel like that, that from one system to another is going to be a transition. And I feel like at least having something that I can transition kind of start, you know, create a bridge, I right. guess, would, would, this is kind of what I'd like to do. So, plus I'm, I don't know, right now, I really don't particularly care to live in the state of Illinois, but right now I'm uh, sitting pretty good that way where we've got some acreage and, you know, a well and stuff like that, so... Um, kind of set that way. No, that's Although good. That's the other part too, is the land thing. And if you don't have the currency to pay the taxes, then what do you do? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, if there's a collapse of the financial system, there won't be any property tax collectors coming around anytime soon. Okay. Well, you never know. He, I don't know if you know who our governor is, but he's pretty heavily tied with the, uh, the people that control things. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you I mean, you're not as bad off as California <laughs> in New York oh, or okay. Michigan. <laughs> there, there are worse. So? Well, I'm not saying you're, you're not in, you're not like Florida. You're not sitting pretty like Florida or Texas, but it could be worse. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the other thing too is getting out of Dodge and going somewhere else. Ginger, if I can just make a simple suggestion, and unfortunately, I don't have you know probably the the greater answer at this time. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really does, but I actually learned that the fear of uncertainty um, is actually a learned insecurity. It's not something that occurs at birth, right? And Mm -hmm. so you have all these, you know, what ifs and um, what should I do now? And I'm sure you have all the questions, but one positive thing that I've done in these types of situations um, when put in them is I actually write my questions down and use 
that to brainstorm and find answers to find my own certainty or you know just plans like okay if this happens i have that because there's probably great ideas um that you have or you know can brainstorm or research online and and find but i know that sitting with the the questions in what i like brands in the night of darkness sitting with just the questions and not it's good to write them down i i highly suggest it it works for me i write them down and then i weigh i weigh it out and i also just write down potential options and ideas and uh, just brainstorming um i reach out for help and ideas and uh you know what I mean? Get suggestions like, hey, this is my budget. This is where I'm at. Um, this is where I'll be in the next couple of months if, you know, ABC occurs. Um, and I think that utilizing some some time in the day to start developing plans for those what ifs and getting answers, you know, developing your answers for uncertainty is uh, it's very helpful uh, because you're generating answers it's a very positive thing to do when we're uncertain about anything especially when it comes to finances career home um and stuff like that because i know i don't know i mean i feel it when i know a transition is coming or if i'm i'm getting to a point where i'm either no longer happy in in work like okay i can't jump from one tree until I have another tree to latch onto, but a lot of people don't have that other tree to la latch onto, and they're kind of just living off of what they've saved up for. Well, each day that passes where there's no um, positive action, because I mean, praying is great, positive affirmations are great, but I also know it takes positive action, and it starts with brainstorming, researching, conversing, and getting those positive things on paper as well in concurrence with the what ifs and what will I do and should I do? Um, so I don't know. I'm just putting it down out there as a as a suggestion to be the person that um, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like just help 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 yourself find answers and you you, you already have the questions, but um, do the positive work that it takes to. I don't know, just help, help yourself find those answers instead of just sitting with the, the questions. I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but it's just a suggestion. No, that's really, I think that's really good. And um, yeah, it's a good suggestion actually to sit down with those questions and then figure out where I want to go from there, I guess. Yeah, and you have a network. I mean, none of us really know each other. Right. But there are times where I jump on here and I need a brainstorm or I need ideas and you know what I mean? Other minds outside of my own mind. Um, I know I cannot do everything by myself and I know that I don't have all the greatest ideas in the world. So I reach out to people and uh, you know what I mean? Get other ideas and opinions and things that I might never have thought of, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's helpful. Plus, I do have skills I can fall back on. Not necessarily that I. That's something I want to do. <laughs> but I have. I do have that. So I guess that's a positive thing I can look at. 
So this is Suzanne, and I wanted to go back to Brandon, your comment about the graven image. So we have graven images of ourselves, and it, it just, all of a sudden, I just went, oh my goodness, that is the wildest, like, basically, we're not to have any graven images of ourselves, according to you know, the commandments, but yep. we engraved our nervous system basically graves a construct of a false thing from basically it's the past being projected into the future saying this is what I am you know and so it's letting go of that graven engraved image and and choosing a different one so to speak to I didn't catch your name but I know uh, Ginger because the other guy was saying is I had heard also like well one speak life so let's just say my husband and I'm just going to put it in past tense is the type had been the type that uh, wants to be a taxpayer and you know like uh, basically wants to be a hurdle uh, a sheeple and I'm just floored by that. But anyway, what I started to do is just speak how I would love for him to show up. So in speaking about that, it's like, well, he's open-minded. Okay, he's resourceful. He's uh, exercising more, whatever. He loves me. Whatever it is that I want to, that life that I want to see to come in fruition, identify it, and then write it down from, like, as if you were talking about it or reading a story. So, and then I just, like, I had written a little thing about my husband, and, um, you know, and then I just read it. And the same thing with... Uh, let's say the the faith or the we've been in transition for two and a half years everything's been in storage and so it's like okay well I have a home now we've chosen where we are and to basically start doing the preparation as if that is happening so you were saying that you have a fixed income you're going through it you know you're you don't know how, like, you have things you can fall back onto. But instead of saying you're falling back onto it, just say, like, I'm excited or I'm inspired to, uh, like, pull in whatever it is, my skills that I have. So you can just start changing those words about how you're talking to yourself and how you're describing your situation and other things so that everything is congruent with speaking life. Absolutely. And I think that that's a great benefit of that dark night of the soul is that opportunity to reshape your perceptions, um, not only of yourself, but of the world around you and of this, you know, uh, significant relationships and other people in your life. So like your husband or anyone else, it's because when we, when we go down into that darkness and we let go of what you just called the graven image, right? Thou shalt not make no graven image of anything on heaven or on earth. 
that is exactly what it is. That, that subjective identity is false. <laughs> There's no truth to it. It's a, it's a mythology of the self that you've created over time. And when you are able to let go of it, then you're also able to let go of the beliefs that kind of surround it. And in forming a new perspective, you will be able to talk to yourself in the ways that you're describing, Suzanne, in that you will be able to have a new outlook on who you are and who your husband is and what is happening around you. And, and like you said, it may be like for me, that's how I'm kind of looking at all this. I'm like, isn't this exciting? It's like the roller coaster's just about to begin. You know, like, and I, you know, I'm sitting there just waiting, waiting for the first drop, for the first loop to loop. Like this is awesome um, because I see what's possible coming out of it. You know that you know going down as a society, as a culture, and in, 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 in going through this tension is where we grow and where we evolve as a society and as individuals. So thank you for that, Susanna. That was perfect. Anyone else? Well, I can add on to that, but I'll see if anyone, I don't want to interrupt anyone if someone else has something. No, uh, please, please add on to that. <laughs> Susanna, I love what you said. And I actually used um, an analogy in a, in a book that I'm writing um, to picture yourself, your inner self as somewhat of an animal kingdom, your alphas, your beta, your predators, your prey. If your alpha or your wolf is courage and your beta or sheep is fear, then your courage is always going to dominate and be stronger than your fear. But if it's opposite and your stronger points are fear and your weaker points are courage, then fear is going to consume that little bit of courage. And so I've done these exercises with myself through just, you know, silent sitting meditation um, to identify my strengths and my weaknesses and see which one I'm feeding more, which one I'm, I'm making stronger and adjusting where I need to adjust. Um, but, I mean, that's just one example of, you know, fear and courage. Um, but it's really an intangible thing. But those intangibles that we have as humans kind of spread out into the tangible world. Money, home car, stuff like that. If my intangibles are in order, then the tangible things in life become easier to, um, to take on. They're less obstacles. And so I think in this, you know, I've, I've gone through my dark nights many times. And the first, second, and third time, it was very, very difficult. I had to learn um, from them. And going through it enough now, I've learned that it's the intangibles that we have, our own inner self, that we have to get through first in order to overcome the tangibles or to be stronger than, you know, the um, influences around us. And in this, in this country right now, a lot of the things that are occurring um, stem from 
these executive orders being signed and we don't know what else, what other damages are going to occur and what reactions are going to be in place, you know, stuff like that. But because my intangible character is strong or those alphas in me, so to say my courage, um, you know, uh, sustainability, um, just, you know, happiness, kindness, things like that are stronger than, you know, fear, doubt, um, sadness, depression, um, anything that, that comes down. I'm ready. However it's going to affect me in my tangible life, I'm ready. Faith is a, is a, is a beautiful intangible. Um, faith and hope and love and all those, those great things. But um, just off of what Susanna said, changing your, your thought process on things um, is an energy shift. It's an actual energy shift. If I am not looking forward to something and I'm dreading it, I have to be aware of it and I have to change my thought process. I have to get excited about it, look forward to it. And when I have that energy shift, Long behold, I look forward to it. I'm excited for it. I'm ready for it. Um, so, Susanna, that was a really great point that you made in changing your your thought uh, your thought process on thing, turning those negatives into positives. That's all. Thank you. I love those metaphors too. Alrighty. Anyone else? What are you guys experiencing? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, Brazen. Thanks for the invite. Um, you know, I, I joined a little late. I was wondering if you can get me caught up to topic and kind of like, um, you know, what, what what's everybody doing this evening? Well, we're basically the topic is the dark night of the soul, and the way I broke it down um, is that the dark night of the soul is this uh, archetype that we as individuals go through throughout our life. That is where we kind of lose meaning where, you know, when you've had a dark moment in your life, you've faced a death of someone close to you, or you face the end of a relationship that, you know, created a lot of pain around or something like that. Or maybe it was, you know, uh, being financially broken or, you know, not having a place to live, whatever it is, we face all these challenges that take us into this dark night of the soul. This is an archetype of spiritual evolution that we go through as individuals and we're experiencing that right now as a society, that we are moving into this dark night of the soul for America. And it's the dark night of the soul is actually a very positive thing because the tension created there where we're able to let go of the image of what America is or what we are as an individual, it falls away. And we reground ourselves in values and when we emerge from this dark night, we have a much clearer, stronger sense of purpose and meaning. And so we do this as individuals and we do this as a society. So right now, that's basically the topic is that we're moving into this dark night of the soul um, as a society. And, and many are going through this on an individual level, you know, especially those who have lost jobs because of lockdowns or who's businesses are suffering or who've maybe had, uh, you know, uh, issues with friends or, or family or anything else. So this is kind of an opportunity to kind of flesh it up 
and to, to see, you know, what about my false sense of identity that I can let go of and, and those beliefs holding me back, re-grounding myself in values so that when I emerge or when we emerge as a society from this dark night, we will, we will be, uh, uh, have a new sense of purpose, a new sense of meaning, and be more connected to that spiritual side of ourselves and that true identity of who we are. Oh, yeah, this is going to be amazing. You know, summing it up, like if I could just chime in just for a second, I would say, you know, my, my, um, my perspective on, on that topic, what kept kind of like pushing into my spirit was um, uh, a blessing in disguise, right? To make it simple, it's, it's you know, blessings in disguise because a lot of the times these blessings come in these various forms and it's up to us to kind of like, you know, have that agreement to the incident and in the way that 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 i am in us you know that you're just saying that that true form if we're going to accept this um so i'm a this is a great topic um but yeah i would i would say that you know a lot of us are going through that myself too included you know i personally um you know we have <laughs> i mean you nailed it everything that you were saying as far as the transitions and the things that we're experiencing you know in this event i think a lot of us are kind of going through but a loss of business six kids schooling you know, the financial realm, the political realm. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainties, you know, like Linus was saying. And, and you know, me personally, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I'm, I'm floating. I've been through a lot of ups and downs. And I, I just find that, you know, looking at it all like a blessing in disguise, like something's going to come out of it. Let's, let's just keep, keep pushing through. So I'm, I'm very here to, uh, to listen to what everybody's got to say. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, awesome. Yeah, thank you for being here. Brandon, I wanted to tell you too in the group that a couple of other things that you had said a long time ago in Mastery and Commerce back in 2013, you told us about the 100-mile walk and you just said everything goes like I can do this each step with grace and ease and you just like said that the whole time. Uh, you remember that? Yeah, I um, do. I actually, what's funny is I just told that story last night. <laughs> One of the things that I remind myself of is like, okay, wait a minute, everything flows with grace and ease. And I have, I don't know if anybody had heard of The Game of Life and How to Play It by Florence Gilbert Shin. She had written a number of books back in like 1925. Um, but basically, when I feel like I'm struggling or things are hard or I'm spending all this energy, I go, wait a minute. Grace and ease, life is a game. So, <laughs> so then going back to that childhood, like the attitude of the other thing that you had said a long time ago was it had to do with radiation exposure, and you made a comment along the lines of there isn't any man-made construct that nature can't correct right away, and you said that there's like some algae that would mitigate the radiation uh, in a couple of days, and that got me thinking more about the dominion and that we were given dominion over ourselves and in a, I mean, not over ourselves, yes, over ourselves, but over the land and the water and the sea and the animals, basically everything ever to be stewards. So 
I do health and wellness and energy medicine, and also somebody had said that infection, the reason why they call it an infection is because it's all coming from inside. So there isn't anything outside, basically, that is controlling my environment. It's always some, it's my internal perceptions and my, my internal traumas and programs and things that I'm running that are just emanating out of us. So um, with that, I like, like the virus, they're always indicators, they're not instigators, but like, it doesn't have power over me. And neither, neither does, you know, really pollution and all these different things. So it's empowering to just remember that I am, I am powerful, for one. I'm part of nature, which is completely abundant, and there's nothing Mother Nature and me because I'm tied into that can't handle. And, and then also just that I'm tapped into that all-knowing. And so that game aspect is it's like a little, like, I want, I want to know that I'm supported or I want an alternate currency or we want to restore the republic. I want to do all these different things. And then the next thing I know, you know, uh, a friend, Brad Beck, sent me this link to this call. And then you're talking about restoring the republic and you're talking about the currencies and they're starting the trust structure again and all this stuff. And it's like, how fun is that? Like, that the answers to my questions, if, if they're not, if they don't pop right into my head, they pop up in my network in a really quick period of time. Right? And yeah. it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I love and I love that you brought that word into the space here of stewardship, right? We are the stewards of our society's journey through this dark time. And I think that is just the perfect word that we are not only stewards of the earth itself, but we are stewards of our society and moving it through this darkness together. Thank you for that, Susanna. Gingy, you're awfully quiet. I've tried to jump in a handful of times. (laughs) This to me is very interesting in terms of cycles because what we're seeing now is, like I was saying earlier, kind of hyper-localized perspective on this grand scheme of things. And I'm really curious to, to look at the, you know, the opportunities that are going to be showing up for us in the near future and the outcomes of all of this stuff. You know, it may seem scary now and in the moment, and if I choose to trust and be in a space of trust and live through this transition in that, in that state, then whatever comes out at the other end will be perfect as it is. And that's something that I've struggled with um, myself for, for quite a while is being able to have that be my default to choose trust to take a step back and to 
know, acknowledge that I'm not in, I don't, I don't have control over all of the events that are going on and every individual is just as powerful and in, um, I almost said intentional, but some of them are not as intentional. <laughs> but they're, they're definitely, they have their own autonomy, as does everybody. And, you know, to me, that's, you know, that's the space of trust that these, everybody is coming from the space they're coming from. And everybody is working towards what they're working towards. And the culmination of all of these events that's what I'm fascinated by, where these things end up. And not, not like there's some destination we get to and you know dust our hands off and that's, oh, we made it. But noticing the transition into a new transition and, and looking at where this transition is leading us, yeah. noticing all the stuff that's going on now and where that's leading and how that piece fits into a bigger transition or into a bigger perspective. And in the space of trust, I know that it's it's not all doom and gloom and scary, and it doesn't even have to be scary. I can choose that trust aspect and be excited if I choose to about what's coming instead of terrified. Have humility as well. Humility is huge, absolutely. Yeah, so tr yeah, I, I definitely trust. Um, I'd say that that's a uh, that's a huge factor. And for those like, and, and I know Ginger, you fall into this category, and actually probably a lot of the people on this call fall into this category. But those who have been who have done extensive quote unquote work on themselves, personal development work, introspection, um, the dark night of the soul is typically easier for people who do that kind of work for themselves on a regular basis. Um, so you, you move through it with a little more ease and grace than the person who's completely asleep and never has an introspective moment. Um, and they, and they're of course also more likely to use the escape mechanisms of drugs and alcohol and prescription medications and stuff like that. TV and so, video games. What's that? As well as stuff like TV and video games. Right. Yeah. Even TV, video escape games, those are all escape. Yeah. It's all escape mechanisms. Absolutely. I love TV and video games. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. What else is going on in the wide world of sports? Uh, Super Bowl's coming up. Is it We're really? seriously having a Super Bowl? I, I, I figured it was canceled. <laughs> Not yet. My favorite Super Bowl <laughs> was when Denver, Colorado legalized weed same year as Washington legalized weed and their two teams got together and had a Super Bowl. <laughs> Did that really happen? <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's, you can't make that shit up. It actually happened. <laughs> That's too funny. Um, the X Games are happening up in Aspen. That's where I'm. I'm on my way to Glenwood from Denver. And, oh wow! Um, but apparently the X Games nobody can go watch. Um, 
and Pitkin County's on some major lockdown. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I find, yeah, I find it funny that I, I use the wide world of sports as a metaphor and y'all came back at me with actual sports. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I have pretty much shut down to sports this year. <laughs> Just figured there it was all over. As soon as they started putting Black Lives Matter and stuff like that on their jerseys, I was like, yeah, I'm not watching. <laughs> Uh, along the lines of trust, I did have something else I wanted to offer everybody and, uh, everybody that's in the group, I could probably even share this directly into telegram for download, but, uh, there's a book that Brandon turned me on to by a woman named Byron Katie called loving what is. And as far as trust goes, it's, it's an amazing set of distinctions that she draws to define what's like what's her business what's somebody else's business and what's god's business that's how she kind of puts it and uh the basic gist for me that i took away from that book is the understanding of reality is what reality is and my experience is what my experience is and when i interact with that or if i say i engage with that where I'm thinking that it's it's wrong, it should be different, it should be in it's something else. Then I'm inter I'm engaging with reality in a space of conflict, because reality will never change due to my will alone. At least not the past. <laughs> Maybe the present moment can be uh, my experience can be shifted, um, but choosing a space of conflict to say that this shouldn't be this way or that shouldn't have happened, or this was wrong, or anything like that, is to choose conflict with an unchangeable reality. And, and I, I'm not saying that in a finite sense of it'll never be changeable. It's there's I don't believe in absolutes. Um, however, it, it's a really cool distinction and a really cool book where she ends up uh, engaging with a few different clients and, and going through her process of getting to the bottom, getting to the root of the conflict. And it always comes back to, in her words, a thought. So if anybody's uh, interested in that, that'd be cool. To, that I could throw that. Yeah. Out. That's actually a great book. I wish she was on here earlier. I wish Anastasia heard that. Cause that would be a great book for her. Uh, What's the book called? Loving, Loving what, what is? is by Byron Katie. Thank you. Excellent book. I think I've got the, uh, hey, Todd's voice. I recognize it the second I heard him. <laughs> or, sorry, Whitney. Or no, Whitey. <laughs> What's up, brother? Um, I've got, I think I've got the, the textbook in PDF form, and I think I've got the audio book. Uh, and I, I don't think I'm really breaking any rules sharing it on Telegram. You're breaking all the rules, Gingy. Breaking all the rules. It's your Mr. rule breaker. Is anybody interested in that, or am I just throwing out things that people won't even watch or listen to or read? I sure. will be. Yeah, go, go ahead and just post it uh, in the group. And uh, when I get a chance, I'll even pin it. 
Sounds good. Um, and I, uh, Tom is reading a book, and he it talks about resistance to something that's already happened, which sounds similar to what you just said, and he may even be reading that book, I don't know. But that basically an event happens, and then we keep replaying it, and we're holding on to resistance around the event. And so from an energy healing perspective, like it ends up becoming stuck energy. Or, you know, like, like I talked about before, an energy, you could use that terminology. And we, we lost you, Susanna. You might need to reconnect because your connection is coming through really bad. Um, so you might want to just uh, close out the app and then rejoin the group because your audio is uh, really shady and not coming through too clear. Keep in mind, she's driving up and over the pass from Denver to Glenwood Springs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's little chance, I guess, it'll get any better. Um, all right. Okay. Anyone else? What do you guys got? What's going on? Or Gingy, you got anything else? Uh, anybody else, feel free to interrupt me. Um, but I, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot else along the lines of this topic. Um, wanting to stay up to date with things that have been going on. The the GameStop thing is fascinating to me. But I was just, after you mentioned them, I've been reading through the executive orders while we've been on the call. Those are a grip of them over the last five days um yeah i just uh like every time i get on with this group i feel like i'm playing catch-up so not a whole lot of cutting edge stuff to throw at you okay all right anyone else I have a question with that GameStop stuff. If there's people that are um, like have been involved with that, is it better for them to just kind of sit and hold on things, or if well, they're able to get out, can they? Or uh, yeah, no, they'll have no problem selling at this point. Um, uh, it, it it depends on what their intention was in getting in. You know, I, a lot of the people who got in, their intention was to screw the financial system so they're holding because the longer they hold and the, the these uh and these short sales expire these options because the options have an expiration date so as the as these uh options expire that these uh they're really causing the collapse of these financial institutions and they're actually directly affecting the dtc the dtcc and by proxy, the Federal Reserve. Uh, I could speak into that a little bit because uh, I don't know how many people really understand what shorting the market or shorting a stock means, but they're basically, there's another company that buys stocks and the, or that it's holding stocks and somebody will take a loan out. I'm going to borrow 500 shares from this organization. They go onto the market because they think its price is going to drop and they sell them for whatever the market value is. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. When, first, you got to make that clear that they borrow it at a, at an already set price. No, no, and no. The well, they, they borrow the, the stocks. Is, right. They borrow it, they, but it's, they don't, it's pegged at a, at, a, at a certain price. 
Like, like no, they borrowed it at 20 and they're betting no, no, that no, it's no, going to no, go down no, 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 10 and then they got to buy it at 10 and sell it and give it back to the people they borrowed it from. That's not, how short. Not exactly. They, they borrow the stocks from somebody and they sell them at whatever the market price is in the hopes that when the market drops, they can buy those stocks back and repay their debt in stocks, not in dollars, and keep the difference. It's not right. necessarily betting against somebody else if it's going to go up or down. Well, so what it, these it people is. have you're, done... You, you are actually betting that it's going to go down because nobody, no, no, nobody wants it to go up in that scenario. Right. So what these people have done is say they, they borrow $3 billion worth of stocks at the current market, and then the stock's price run up. Now they have to buy back those stocks at the end of this period, which may be two weeks or whatever the time frame is where this debt comes due. They say, hey, we're going to pay you back in two weeks. And they wait for the market to drop. They buy them back at a lower price. They pay them back. Now they've got extra money. And in this case, the price because of these GameStop people, I was almost called them kids, but I have no idea how old they are. Um, they basically noticed how overextended these short positions were and said, hey, if we make the market go up right now, we're going to completely F over the people that are holding billions of dollars in shorts. So as they all put in a thousand bucks here, a hundred bucks there, they drove the price up over, I don't know, what, 1500% or something like that. And then these people that are holding all of these stocks have to eventually sell them and pay the difference or buy, sorry, not sell them, but they have to buy these stocks back at whatever the price is so that they can pay back their loan. So they literally have to pay the difference out of pocket, which came to the tune of like three point something billion dollars right. because of how high they run that ran this up. And this is why it, it now comes on the, the obligation actually falls on the DTCC via the seed company because they're the clearinghouse. That's where the transactions are cleared at. So when all of these entities cannot buy the stock because it's the stock, the, to buy back the stock at its current price, they, they don't have enough assets <laughs> in their company to even make that purchase. So now it falls on the clearinghouse, the DTCC, because all securities are traded in the name of Seed Company, which is a subsidiary of the DTC. And so the DTCC, the clearing company, will also be hit. And again, that's a direct asset of the Federal Reserve. So this is actually hitting the Federal Reserve directly. That, and that's awesome. I didn't rec realize how far down the chain this ripple went, but it doesn't surprise me. It's not like three point whatever billion dollars is a small chunk of change. That's going to <laughs> that doesn't lose jobs. That loses companies. That loses organizations. The highest level. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's they're they're looking to cause quite a ripple. And, and if I, they go, okay, so there's there's some people like my my sister's boyfriend we were talking to today. Uh, uh, he's like, oh, I even bought some GameStop. I wanted to get on it. I just wanted to stick it to the man. And I was like, what'd you what'd you buy? Like half a share or one share or what? And he's like. Oh no! I bought like three shares. Of, you know, he spent over a thousand dollars just to just to do it. I was like, "What are you gonna do?" He's like, "I don't care. Just hold it." I guess like he did not care at all about making money. And the more of these people that hold on to their shares, the more that they keep that stock level up, 
And once that debt comes due and these people have to buy their shares back, it's going to bump the price up even more when they have to purchase $3 billion plus dollars worth of, I mean, plus 1,500% or whatever if they even do that. But a lot of these people, they're not in it to make money or anything else. They're literally just saying, let's all put in a certain amount of money and just hold it. Because then the price doesn't drop. If nobody's selling, the price doesn't drop. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's it's funny. This is what you know. You remember Occupy Wall Street? Man, they should have got yeah. together and did this back then. <laughs> they didn't have Reddit, did they? <laughs> no. Well, I, I don't know if you have to have Reddit in order to organize a uh, a movement on uh, stocks, but. Uh, I just find it like this is way more effective than, you know, hanging out, protesting and shitting in the streets for weeks on end. <laughs> uh, the, I, there's, uh, there's a trader that I follow and he was saying that, you know, when he's in college, he's like, oh, cool. I want to you know, occupy Wall Street. And he went out and he, he spent three months going from sit in to sit in to sit in. And he thought he was doing this amazing work and he, he was rudely awakened by the fact that every time he posted up he would his tent would get egged and he'd have people walking by spitting on him and cussing at him and then at the end of it all of it was over and they bailed him out <laughs> and he's like yeah. the system is so rigged so he got into trading he's like if everybody's just going to be in there making money i'm going to make some money on the, the 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 flashing digits in cyberspace is what he calls it <laughs> All righty. What else we got? Is that it? Y'all ready for the dark hey, it's, night? <laughs> it's Michael here. I uh, am uh, wondering more. You know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, as I remember it, um, the dark night setting in uh, in relation to say like a loss of meaning and like a you know as i see it too um it's like when when us and anyone who's who's dealing with this are overwhelmed by the you know beyond their capacity to um yeah to to respond and then it's sort of um the response from a, a, a psyche or from an individual is, um, you know, and this is somewhat from experience. You just, you realize like you can't care about things that you want to care about in that moment. It's like, you sort of get stretched out so many different directions that it's like, wait a minute, what's really important. What's really what I can try to, um, uh, you know, manifest around and actualize and protect and take care of and not be, um, you know, beaten down over and over again. Um, but so I, I guess what I'm just curious about, I don't really have a specific question, but when it comes to this loss of meaning, when like maybe say, say, oh, you know, I used to care about, I don't know, whatever. So I'm like, um, like, like the example you just brought up with the guy on Wall Street, like I used to care about, um, I don't know some sort of quasi democratic process. But now I realize that that was, that was bullshit. That illusion is shattered. And that meaning of, of doing that together with, you know, my so-called peers on the street is gone. And now 
I'm going to readjust. And it seems like he found, um, well, yeah, I'm totally assuming, you know, but maybe in one version of that story, he found meaning by going in and saying, I'm going to get this money in this way and, and change up my plan. But so my just kind of curiosity is around that um, reclamation of meaning and sort of that part as we go through the hero's journey and look at um, the end of that, you know, the dawn of the dark night. And, and if you have any elements around that part of the cycle. Yeah. And I think you spoke a little bit into it in that it is, you know, when in that space of the meaninglessness and, and the letting go and the confronting of the ego and all that, like you said, you start to reorient yourself with what's important, right? Um, so that's part of that process because when you're able to let go of that false image of the self, that, that subjective identity, you're able to ground yourself back in your values, you know, and that's actually a lot of people experience that through the whole COVID thing. You know, they realized how little importance they really have for, let's say, their career and how much more importance there was in their family, right? And how yeah. up until COVID, they had had it mixed around where their number one priority may have been their career. And they realized in going through the dark night of COVID, you know, they, mm -hmm. they that what was more important to them was their family, was their personal relationships. And so there, there is that reorienting process, you know, and that's why you emerge with like a deeper sense of purpose and a deeper sense of meaning. Like you're clear, like, yeah, no, this is what I'm about. This is where I'm going. And, uh, and so that's, that's the great opportunity. That's the great benefit of it is just having that time in the darkness to reorient yourself. You know, when you've let go of the identity, when you've let go of the beliefs and you've grounded in those values, you get to reorient yourself and, and really find that purpose and meaning. And I mean, it's, it, what's interesting is a lot of people go through their lives with no real sense of purpose or meaning or like what I would consider a surface level sense of meaning and purpose. Like some people will, you know, live life like, okay, well, my purpose is to raise my kids which is, I mean, that's a noble thing. You definitely want to, you know, be a good parent, right? But then yeah. what happens when the kids are now taking care of themselves? You know, that's right. why we have middle-age crisis <laughs> yeah. that adults in our culture go through because it's like they thought that there was purpose and meaning, but they, they didn't have any, any deeper sense of purpose or meaning than just getting the kids to 18 and out of the house or into college or whatever. Um, and so now they're, they go into this dark night of the soul and, or they avoid it, right? Which is really mm. what they've been programming us with is when you get to that point, what do you do? Oh, you get divorced, you get a sports car, you get a, a, a young new girlfriend, right? This is, this is what you see in media. Do not confront the darkness, avoid it, right? Mm. And so, and I mean, look at how many middle-aged people are on uh, antidepressants. I mean, it's astronomical. Like yeah. everyone's on this shit, right? Or they're self-medicating if they're not on it, you know? 
So it's yeah. that you yeah. see that that it's that's that comes of that lo- lack or loss of purpose and meaning and a in a in a refusal to go into the darkness, you know, to avoiding that dark night of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is wild. And I mean, it makes sense, you know, it's a scary thing to 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 face this stuff, but we were yeah, I mean, it's wild. It's funny with the, just bringing up how many people are are taking yeah prescription drugs and stuff like that. And I visited uh, the screen printer, and they said something. You know, are you an artist or whatever? And I forget how it came up, but uh, I realized that I feel like today, like being on drugs, is more socially acceptable than being an artist. Like at this point, being someone who's like, oh, yeah, I'm an artist. I challenge perceptions. I um, try to live outside of social norms or so-and-so is even more rare. Everybody's uh, so, it's so widely accepted, I feel like, to be, um, yeah, yeah, like I said, just on loads of drugs and, uh, you know, and and or, you know, medicating with booze and whatever else. It's... Um, it's uh, it's interesting that our society, you know, because I guess growing up and just kind of here, you know, it's obviously don't do drugs and try to keep it together. And, and I feel like a lot of that has just really gone out the window um, in the last like 20 years. It's like, I guess it's part of the, it really reminds me of, I guess, directly post 9-11 and stuff where suddenly it was like the, you could tell the waves of, fear that was going through people and i feel like you know this is just my limited perception but it seemed like the the amount of psychiatric help that people were needing and that they were only getting through um regular medication or, or if you can call it, i guess i guess i'll be fair but is prof- is profound and and when they say i mean i when i hear the numbers i usually can't even believe it as far as you said antidepressants um, you know, let, let alone the, the health, you know, heart, heart pressure regulators or whatever, all that type of stuff. But so it's, it's pretty wild realizing that as we interact with people on our daily lives, that maybe the majority of people were actually dealing with, um, yeah, some somewhat medicated, everybody's on coffee or <laughs> something. So it's like, uh, anyway, it's kind of tangential, but like this thing of just facing our emotions and facing our raw self is so rarely seen when it's like all that it really requires is just sitting with yourself for a day. And that's like, like you said, it took the lockdown and all this stuff for people to even like some of the guys in it who are like contractors who just go seven days a week for like 40 years and stuff. And it's like, take it easy, you know, take a break for a day and just kind of see what happens. And um, so there's definitely, there was really amazing um, moments, I'm sure, for most people, um, you know, at least in America, I don't know what it's like around the world, but to face that kind of uh, isolation, solitude, slowing down for people who are like super social and always hitting the, the scene and stuff and going out and um, you know, learning how to cook even it's, it's amazing all the things that came up for people. 
Yeah, but. yeah. A lot of growth happened for a lot of people. And at the same time, a lot of avoidance. You know, how many people made it through the, the dark night of COVID by medicating, right? Or avoiding in some other way. <clears throat> one, yeah. of my, one of my favorite lines, but one of my favorite artists is, do you call yourself a patient or a junkie? The only thing that separates is who takes your money. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I want to yeah. speak into that a little bit. Um, do, do you want to go? I, I don't know who Lioness of God is, but I think you were just trying to. That go. was Suzanne. I mean, as oh, Suzanne, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, it's a total double standard because it's like all this keep your kids off of drugs, but the average, like, even vaccination schedule now is 70 it's like 75 vaccinations for kids. Jesus um, Christ. I mean, it's huge. And, um, and the other thing is like the minute that, that pain, that avoidance of pain, everything's about avoiding pain. And so it's like, let's avoid pain by not talking about it. Let's avoid pain by putting you on antidepressants. Let's avoid pain by giving you all these painkillers let's self-medicate all this stuff. And, and that's the, the crazy, like the coolest thing is that when you be with the pain and you just love it in that moment and you recognize that, that that was a past event or it's a projection into the future, then it, it becomes no thing. There's no more resistance. There's no more energy charge to it. And it's just done, you know? So um, that's all I was going to say. <laughs> I wanted to speak into what I would call my darkest of dark nights of the soul because I believe there's a common misunderstanding that numbing yourself and avoiding your, your, your pain through alcohol or drugs is the easier path and it's not. <laughs> no, yeah, my right. experience you you could drag it out over 20 30 years yep it's it's like a way to kind of not even suspend it but to actually choose into it and stay with it for longer like the the first thing i thought was like i don't know i'm living in denver i like weed let me just smoke some weed and i'll forget about it nope if anybody here has ever messed with marijuana thc or cbd you realize that by consuming those products, you actually feel things at a much more intense level. That's why you like to eat food when you're high and you like to listen to music when you're high because it's all just heightened. It goes the same in the other side. I would smoke a little bit of weed and no, I wouldn't just forget about things and be like, oh, I'm all happy now. Nope, I would be twice as deep into my emotions. And then... I'm the opposite. You are... <laughs> yeah... Because I, I, it almost kind of helps me work harder and work uh, more efficiently. But does it have you not feeling the emotions that you're in? Does it numb you effectively? Yeah, I mean, not really. But at the same time, kind of. Yeah. For some stuff, like when I when I was really going through it, it, it didn't do anything but make it worse. But if I like had a bad day at work and I smoked a little bit of weed, it was like vacation from real life. 
It was a there, way to kind of tune out. Right. There has been times where I've had headaches and I've indulged into it and it's made my headaches worse. That's for sure. Yeah. So uh, when that well, didn't work for me, I tried alcohol and I, I would even drink myself to the point where I was like blackout drunk. And all that did is have me remember nothing of what just happened and wake right back up in the same spot I was trying to get away from. And it, it just like rinse and repeat trying to get away from something. It was like there was nowhere to run away from because it was it wasn't out there. It wasn't something I could get away from. And so the fastest, most effective way that I found to get through whatever traumatic shit I was dealing with was to just be with it and come to peace with it in whatever way that meant. It, whatever, whatever mechanisms I used, just diving into it, not avoiding it, being with it. And that's the only way that that stuff ever felt any better or got any better. And, you know, I, I feel like that's something that I learned from watching TV or movies or, or something like that. Like every time there's like the, you know, the movie goes through the whole, the whole hero's journey archetype for the main character and all the supporting characters and the entire movie itself. And there's always that low point. And when you get to that low point, what does the hero do? They're like, oh, I've had enough. And they run off and, you know. Their, their best friend, their sidekick died or something like that, and they end up drinking themselves numb. And then eventually they have a montage that pulls them out of this self-pity phase and they're back to action. I'm like, oh, that's the way to do it. <laughs> that's never the... you, just, you just left out the montage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the montage takes a lot longer than you think it takes is really what happens. So it's, it's, it's like it's almost been like ingrained in the psychology of, of this culture through movies and everything else to where I see that in almost like there, there's some type of like, I'm going to run away and try to escape what's happening. And then a call back to the playing field to finish what's unfinished. And that's like, Brandon, I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about the hero's journey in general and not just the archetype of the, the dark night of the soul, but the entire process, because there is a cyclical beginning and end to the hero's journey and it's one aspect is the dark night right or am, do I have that right wrong? well you, well you know my work with it and where i'm developing an entire self-mastery course around it um right. and so i don't i don't think it's something that could be uh addressed in a meaningful way in this call but what i'll do is i'll make sure to pick a part of it that is especially relevant for what we are experiencing as a community, as a society, and start to move through the different archetypes. Cool. I mean, in general, the overview is basically an opportunity comes up, the main character steps out of their old life to enter into an adventure, then there's a low point, then there's this overcoming the the obstacles of life, and then a reintroduction back into old life but also into this new god damn it i almost said new well it's, <laughs> you, you, you bring you after the resurrection right you bring those what you got right because you you emerge from the darkness with a new sense of purpose with uh, a new, new perspective skills. 
you faced the nemesis, you faced the shadow, which was a projection of those darker aspects of you. And in that, you re-enter the, what they call the normal world, right, where you began, but you are a completely transformed person. And so in the normal world, as this transformed person, it, it transforms your world. Yep. And, and this is this could be macro and this could be micro. This could happen in an hour. This could happen in a day. This could happen in a lifetime. This is like fresh cycle. Well, yeah, look at it as cycles within cycles. It's uh, you're, you're you're you might be in the middle of three or four, you know, um, right. and same with our society. Like you could maybe we could you could frame it as the uh, as let's say either the Revolutionary War itself as an aspect of the dark night of the soul. You can look at World War II as an aspect of the dark night of the soul. Uh, uh, so you can see that these cycles can exist within cycles and, and same with your, w within yourself, that you can actually be playing out the long game, you know, from childhood to old age, and that's one cycle. And within that, you're going to play through many smaller cycles and you'll have overlap with, the, with even those smaller cycles. Yeah, I like to think you could have the dark night of the dark night. You could have the breakthroughs of the breakthroughs. You can have those lappings like that, which could have some of them feel much more intense. Some of these cycles feel much more intense. But the, the biggest takeaway, I think, to push out there is that it is a cycle. It, there is no, we have completed this. It's part of the journey. It's part of the progress. It's part of the evolution. That without this archetype, there is no growth. There is no evolution. There is no becoming. There is just the stagnance. Gingy, can I uh, ask you a question and then also add a comment? Absolutely. Um, were you, uh, was it like a self-testimony uh, with the alcohol and the, the cannabis? Yeah, it was. Um, as you guys talk about this, um, coming out of the, the dark night of the soul. And I want to kind of just add on to that a little bit, because I think everyone in this uh, chat group is either currently guilty of it or has been at one point in their life. I, I'm an analogy person, so bear with me. Metaphor and, metaphors and analogies, but I do refer to them as uh, Band-Aids on bullet wounds. Um, everyone has a different Band-Aid. The things that we use to numb ourselves from reality, the substances or tools that we use to temporarily release endorphins or escape from deep-rooted negative feelings, ideas, thoughts, or emotions. Pretty much any Band-Aid we use to relieve ourselves from these deep wounds um, only causes greater toxicities and damage. And I don't think that coming out of the dark night really occurs until we let go of those Band-Aids. Um, because, you know, whether it's alcohol and or other substances such as prescription drugs, um, but it doesn't have to be those either. It can easily, some people just binge watch Netflix to escape whatever is on their mind. But yeah. I know that often people use these things to forget about something or take their mind away, relieve stress, anxiety, depression, sleep disorders. But I know that the long-term effect, um, like, you know, what is the long-term effect? How does... How does this take an original problem and eventually make it worse? Dependence and addiction is a huge factor. Um, once these coping mechanisms are well in play, I know it becomes quite difficult to stop. Once the substances uh, leave the system or whatever it is you're doing, 
um, that fix, whether it's video game, uh, binge watching TV, whether it is drugs, whether it is alcohol, porn, uh, pointless sex even, you know, um, after it leaves the system, um, guess what? Not only is the original problem still there, but now there are other problems because your mind has changed their chemical makeup. It becomes a belief system. Um, and, I, and I'm not like a, a neurologist by any means, but I do know that um, the microscopic belief system is now under the impression these substances are absolutely necessary and required to feel relaxed, happy, or satisfied. Um, I, I believe that they can constantly trigger you until you, you know, give yourself what your mind or body thinks that it needs. Without it, your mind or, or, your mind or body go undergoes withdrawals. Um, and I, I mean, I guess, right. huh? From my personal experiences, from like, uh, a tolerance break per se on, on marijuana, it, you, when you're coming off of it, most of the times, or from my experiences, I've only had uh, psychological effects. I don't. I, I never really had any physical effects, but I just wanted to throw that out there. It's not that bad, but at the same time, it can be kind of strange because you can get some weird dreams and shit like that. Well, I use yeah. that as an example, too, because I went through, in my 20s, I went through three years of constant drinking. I never was an alcoholic, um, never had the disease of alcoholism, but I definitely abused alcohol for three years. And it was after my divorce, I went into this darkness and instead of facing um, how it was affecting me and really trying to heal that wound, I numbed it and I numbed it for three years. And there was a lot of a, a lot of additional damage along the way that I had created. And I think that you kind of darkness is within darknesses of the night, right? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I uh, uh, until I said, you know, enough is enough. It's time to stop numbing or you know putting that bandage on a bullet wound. And I had to go through a journey, kind of backwards in time, and had to forgive myself which is not an easy task um, for a lot of different things and forgive situations and outcomes and um, go back to the original wound. And after going back to that original wound and finding peace with it, that was, it was only at that point that I got out of that, that, that particular dark night of my soul was to stop numbing, to stop putting those band-aids on that original bullet wound. Had I not done that for three years, you know, you know who, who really knows, but I wouldn't have created more, more damage that was unnecessary. Maybe, have, and maybe, friend. and maybe it would have been the exact same. There's no telling in in how the events of the past, if they were changed, how the outcomes would have been. But I will say that there are two different things I think that that people can deal with in in this type of scenario, as far as numbing goes, and and facing some level of dependency and one is the physical addiction that can happen and then two there's the like mental habituation of whatever it is so like trigger somebody said my ex's name and my response which is just the habit is to go get a tub of ice cream and sit in front of the tv 
it's not that TV is necessarily something that's creating physical addiction, addiction, that when I stop, I have withdrawal symptoms. But it's very easy to, to not know what to do or to feel dependent on that and, and, and be stuck in the, the pattern and the habits of using that as a crutch. Like every time I feel emotion, every time I, I feel happy, every time I something, the addiction comes on those two levels. And I personally believe that addiction, physical addiction, and, and even habituation to a certain extent, it's coming from a deeper place than just like a, a physical chemical reaction. I, I think just ba basically based off of the studies done with Ibogaine, where people have been able to reconnect themselves with spirit through this process and come out the other end being totally free of like meth addiction, heroin addiction, the like the no joke addictions as, as far as physically, like they still had the thought of, I want to go do drugs again because I miss, you know, being blackout wasted with my friends or, or whatever that I've never been on meth or heroin or anything. So I, I don't really know the, 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 the benefits or the, the enjoyable parts of those drugs, but certainly say for something like cigarettes, which I have dealt with, um, the, the physical addiction part, when I would stop smoking, I would get shakes. I would not feel hungry. I would, might even get sick to my stomach. I might get a headache. All of those things are the physical withdrawal symptoms, which I found out if I did like a water fast or, or a master cleanse or something would completely disappear with inside like, you know, three days or a week or something. So the chemical dependency of my body was completely gone in a matter of days. But what lasted for up to like, I don't know, probably three years or so was the, I get into my car and I close the door and all of a sudden I'm craving a cigarette or I just eat a big fat carby meal and I sit down on the couch and I'm thinking, mm, I want a cigarette now. It's like those triggers, they stayed habitually in my mind for years. And it wasn't until I came to peace with, with, with nicotine basically when I, when I chose forgiveness of myself and of others and of tobacco or, or whatever else it was, that I was able to reconnect even spiritually to fill the void that I was trying to fill with nicotine. And all of a sudden, I'm in a position in my life where I can go smoke an entire pack of cigarettes right now if I wanted to and have no dependency issues afterwards. I, I mean, and alcohol is something totally different. I've never had an issue with it, but I could drink it every single day for years and then stop cold turkey and never have a withdrawal symptom. Alcohol and I have an entirely different relationship. So it's whatever that crutch is that people can become dependent on that you're looking at the habitual, the mental, the, the, the pattern side of it. And then you're also looking at the, like, the body adjusting to the chemical... Uh, chemicals that they're used to having inside the system. It's not like nicotine does anything in the blood that your body needs, but it can be completely dependent and say like, I'm, I'm, I need this, where to go? <laughs> I'm going to have to go through this flu-like symptoms in order to, to transition. Is any of that making sense or, or supporting what you're saying? 100%.
I guess I, I only brought that portion up of it up on top of what you were saying because um, just in my own journeys through the dark nights of the soul, I realized I couldn't really get to the other side of it until I faced the things I actually needed to face versus, you know, even daily routines that don't identify it or, or acknowledge it. Um, you know, whether it was Netflix binge watching or, you know, playing a video game until for a, for him or drinking or just whatever it was. Um, I'm not saying that those things are bad. Those, you know, those are all bad things to do, but I recognized it in myself when I had a conflict in my head or in my heart or in my spirit about something and didn't feel or gave myself the excuse of not feeling like I had the energy um, or the thinking capability at that time, you know, blank mind, that blank mind, that blank mind feeling um, to face it or to acknowledge it or to accept it or to forgive it, just whatever the case is. And so instead of doing that, I would, you know, turn on a show that would allow my mind to escape it. Um, you know, and I was a smoker yeah. too. I, I quit as well. It's hard. Um, I think I'm still in your, what year three years was where every once in a while I still think about it, but I just, I, I think I, I bring it up because I, I know that, there's probably something that the majority of everyone in this room is facing, whether it's uh, lacking self-purpose, um, pride of belonging somewhere, maybe in the workplace, um, a toxic relationship or a relationship that's gone downhill. Um, just all the various issues and problems and, you know, everything that's happening with our government and with COVID and, the world at the time too doesn't make it easier kids are out of school um people lost jobs the the world is you know changing and it, and it doesn't feel like a positive change with all the negative energy and news that's out there and i also do believe that energy is contagious um so with all these other factors on top of it for everyone that have those feelings of bad relationships hate their job or don't have job what do i do um, when all these things pile up, I just, I feel for myself and, and I don't want to speak for everyone here is the number one thing that stops positive forward movement is a daily way to escape the problem, whatever that escape is, whether it's a drug and a chemical or, you know, just a routine that uh that allows them to escape is all and i don't think that we can actually face the issue and get out of the darkness until we allow ourselves to pinpoint and recognize ourselves completely on hey what am i doing every day to not face a certain situation or a feeling you know um yeah i mean that's that's pretty much it i uh like i said not trying to speak for everyone but um I think that we're all guilty of it or have been guilty of it. And I don't think that coming out of whatever that darkness is, is even going to happen until those things are recognized and, uh, and worked through. Yeah. And that's part of the archetype in that process. There is a reconciliation. There is an engagement with the darkness, quote unquote darkness, the shadow, the, the nemesis, the, the, 
you know, the enemy, the arch enemy or whatever it is, you know, every superhero goes up against a supervillain at some point. And in order to overcome that, you can't avoid it. And until you uh, confront it, not even confront it, because I feel like that's confrontational, but until you engage with it and you're with whatever that yeah. uh, altar is, then you're just sitting in a place of avoiding it, waiting for it to go away, and it's waiting for you to engage. <laughs> you're like, I'm just going to sit here until this thing leaves, and it's it's not going anywhere. It's part of who you are, and it's a transitionary, evolutionary step to take. And, and so, how many people yeah. have been trapped in that for years? I think I can, I'm not, not going to, but I can name at least two people in my personal life that have gone four to five decades of what you just said right there just waiting for it to go away on its own no no uh no engagement with whatever it is that's kind of kept them in that dark place past regrets or you know death um or whatever the case is and so how many um, of them are doing it with covid right now how many of them are doing it with you know anything that's big that's going on i mean this is something that can happen like <laughs> On the micro, the very small levels, I, I see myself doing this daily. Like, what do I want to eat for breakfast? Uh, I don't know. And I'll avoid it until I'm hungry enough to eat anything. <laughs> and then I eat settle for a bowl of cereal or something. And then on the macro, you know, there are things where I, uh, I avoid diving into something that I'm really passionate about, that I really care about, because ultimately I'm afraid of whether or not it will it'll be a success or if I have the time and energy to put forth the 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 tension and the the care that it'll take to really see the thing through and it's like even with covid i I mean i feel like there's so many people that are just sitting around being like well i hope somebody creates a vaccine that makes us all immune to this thing at some point and i really hope that this thing just stops shutting down all of our economies and all of our businesses and we can just go back to living life the way the thing was and how many of them are actively engaging with their relationship with whatever the trigger is, whatever the issue is? There's, there's not a large percentage of people that are like, oh, this is an issue. I'm going to take this head on and just deal with it. There's two levels to be playing at in, in, in that game. You're either engaging whatever's going on for you or you're avoiding whatever's going on for you. Take this for example. Uh, I I do semi work for semis, and I I work mobile, so I go out to the customer to diagnose and fix their problems. Anyways, well, I'm sure you can imagine that some of them aren't very bright, and that kind of stems to where or. That kind of makes me want to burn or smoke pop because there's not really much I can do to them that'll make them smarter because they they need they need a life changing event for them to wake the hell up. So I can't go to a job every day and say, "Look, you need to wake the fuck up. This is what's really going on." I can't just do that. And I think that actually speaks into uh, 
an opportunity for the uh, for yourself to look at what we project on others, um, because typically when we have that negative experience of other, it's a projection of that shadow. So the shadow is those elements of ourselves we don't like to acknowledge, and we project it out on others. So we 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 see in others our own faults. In fact, that's all you see. Now it may be, it, it's typically like the nemesis in the, in the hero's journey is an exaggeration of those faults so that you see it, right? Because that fault may be such a small part of who you are and so subtle that you never see it. And then it shows up in the nemesis exaggerated. And it's clear, it's obvious, right? And so now you're faced with it. And so that's, I'd say that's a healthy way of looking at how you experience others is that they are going to, especially if you have a, a negative experience or contentious experience, find that small aspect of you that you don't want to acknowledge that is that is being exaggerated in this person or or even a situation you know that it's meant for you to see something it's meant for you to confront something within yourself so that's yeah that's that's the that that's the nemesis you know it's why when luke skywalker went into the cave on dagobah and he fought with Darth Vader and he slashed Darth Vader and his mask blew open. Who did he see inside the mask? Yeah. He saw himself. Yeah, yeah, he saw himself because that was the nemesis. Darth Vader yeah. was an exaggeration of those things that lived within Luke Skywalker. Damn. I never really thought of it that way. Perception is key. Yeah, it is. It is. And, it, and again, everyone's an, an opportunity. Everyone you come across is an opportunity to grow and to learn. If nothing else, perfect patience. <laughs> That's true. Very good point. And to that point, I actually, Brandon, it's from the workshop that we did with Krista down in, in Puerto Rico. We took a course called uh, Grace Revealed. It was a men's course. And at the end of that workshop, uh, she gave us all uh, an invitation, I'll say to be in a space of discovery for an entire year. And I took that on extremely, just totally seriously. And I, every single day, all day, was present and intentional about learning something from whatever my experience was. And what I found was immense. It was, it was, all, it was all me, direct reflection in some way or another. What does this have to say about something? Oh, it means that. But does it mean that? Following those rabbit holes, being in a space of discovery and not in a place of, I know what's happening, I know the answer. That, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't even, I don't really have words for it, but it was just a transformative experience, not ever coming to a conclusion for an entire year and staying in a space of, is that true? I think it's true, but is it really? Will this prove beyond the test of whatever X, Y, and Z? 
that kind of feels like kind of fun, it, it kind of feels like I'm in the same kind of shoes myself. Like I, I don't try to expect anything because every time I expect something, it's the complete opposite. Well, engaging with somebody at work instead of being like, oh, that guy's an asshole or that guy's stupid. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. The question I would bring up automatically in a space of discovery is, is that true? Is there anything else that could explain this situation? And I say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just tired. You know, and tired people are jerks. Okay, cool. Is that true? Let me really investigate that. Is that the belief that I want to live my life by today? Very good point as well. You know, if you come to an answer, you've closed off all other possibilities to whatever ways you could explain the event, your experience that's going on. If you're in a space of discovery, you have open and available to you all possibilities infinitely. It's well a spoken. total and other mind shift. Well spoken. I'm very glad I joined this uh, or joined Telegram at the, at the, at the very least because I wouldn't have been led to y'all. Well, I'm glad you're here, man. I'm glad you're participating too. I really appreciate the discord. All righty. Are we, are we at completion? Is there anyone else who has anything else they'd like to contribute to the conversation? Questions, topics? Sorry, I didn't cut out. Oh, no problem. I'll take a phone call. Alrighty. Anything? Anyone? Are we complete? When, when's the When's this chat gonna be on your website? I'm sorry. I'll have it up by tomorrow. Oh, okay. Cool. That's all I've got. All right. All right. Well, Brandon, you'll, will you also post it in the in the Telegram chat? Yes, I will. I'll, I it'll be in the podcast. So it'll be on all the podcasting networks and it will be available. I will post it on Telegram. And I think that's, I mean, that should cover everyone. Um, I want to, okay. I want to thank everyone for being present on the call. Um, I want, and I want to thank everyone who contributed. Um, I, I got immense value from everyone's contributions and points of view. Um, so I'm truly grateful. I'm truly grateful for everyone and for everyone's participation. And I look forward to being able to participate and have another conversation with all of y'all real soon. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all. Good night.